y'all. Welcome to Geek Freaks. I am Frank, and today we are joined by Cy and Gordon. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Good, good. Uh, Cy and Gordon wrote Leaders Assemble, Leadership in the MCU, a new book that's coming out today, guys, so make sure you pick this up. Uh, can one of you guys explain what this book is about? So the book is about <clears throat> talking about leadership theory and uh, leadership using examples from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, both Gordon and I are professors and uh, we teach leadership. And one of the big challenges is kind of communicating what leadership is and kind of drawing in students' attention about leadership and leadership theory. And the Marvel Cinematic Universe has a lot of great examples of leadership. Okay. Is there something that you guys saw like missing in the leadership education field that you thought, you know what, let's use MCU to kind of fill in this gap? Gordon, do you have anything to speak to that? Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of times in leadership education, too, we talk about big theories of leadership. So something like transformational leadership, people like Gandhi getting people to act on, you know, we're, we're going to put our lives on the line and work towards this freedom or these big tasks. Uh, and that's great. Uh, but a lot of us in day-to-day, -day, that's not <laughs> what we're doing. And so it's one of the things where I feel like sometimes students will be like, yeah, leadership's cool. And then they go back to, you know, just normal life. And they're like, how do I do this? What? <laughs> like, I'm not Gandhi, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so that's one of the things I think the Marvel movies do is they're very connected to these characters. And they've got, you know, pros and cons. They make mistakes. Uh, and they're, they're heroes. So when we talk about somebody like Gandhi, we talk about, him as if he's perfect, right? Well, when we mm -hmm. talk about Tony Stark, nobody thinks Tony Stark is perfect <laughs> in the comics or in, in the movies, right? And that's a lot closer to the way we are, right? We all have our strengths, our weaknesses, our blind spots, uh, different opinions. Uh, and so the, the, to me, the Marvel characters make this stuff more real, which feels weird when we're talking about Gandhi's a real person and uh, Tony Stark, spoilers, is a, a fictional character, right? But there's yeah. these characters we really care about and understand, and we see them on multiple sides. And so, so to me, kind of the book fills a hole a little bit in making sure uh, we really connect with people and their experience and these things they care about. Because, yeah, we talk about CEOs, we talk about famous generals, but that's not really our day-to-day -day life. And so the book, uh, I would say in some of the chapters, we really do sort of, here's an example from this movie that you like. Here's the theory and what it's about and explaining it uh, in, you know, in, in easy ways. And then we also have people reflect and think about their own experiences and how they might do it. So the end of every chapter talks about, okay, we talked about servant leadership with Captain America. How could you use this as a person? Uh, and we have a whole chapter at the end that tries to get that even more. Um, and our perspective on leadership is this idea of leadership as a process. So it's not just if you're called the boss, you're in charge and everybody listens. Because, you know, Frank, that ain't true. <laughs> yeah, amen. Yeah. We, we don't listen to our bosses all the time unless we they successfully influence us, unless we buy in. We don't have to. We can do our yeah. jobs pretty poorly and still not get fired, right? Yeah. Um, and so we talk a lot about we all are leaders. We all engage in leadership. And so you're learning those skills and those perspectives that help you to have more influence. Because, yeah, a lot of times the most influential person in your work group or in your social group is not somebody that's got a hat that says, I'm the leader, right? It's somebody who we respect, somebody who has good ideas, someone who we can trust, not somebody who's the boss. And yeah, and I think with the Avengers in particular and groups like that, they're, they're just individuals, right? That do their own thing. They can save the world on their own. Uh, they don't, they don't see, I need somebody to tell me what to do, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so we re they really need to influence how they need to convince each other they can't just be, well, we all listen to Tony because he's got the money because they don't. <laughs> yeah. Where do you see leadership being valuable in just the everyday life of somebody who's walking down the streets, maybe not doesn't have the boss title, but would like to, to benefit from this book? So I think the way that a, the average person can kind of benefit from the book is sort of how Gordon was talking about. You can influence people in positive ways within the workplace. Yeah. So even if you're not looking to lead an entire team, you may have an idea that you want implemented. And if you want that idea implemented, you need to work on influencing. And that's why we focus in the book on uh, relationships, how people leverage those relationships, and how you can kind of accomplish things that you want. Because a lot of times people may not want to have the, the title 
of being a leader. They may not want to be a manager, but you still want things to be uh, effective within your work team. You want things to kind of function the way that you want within your uh, within your work life. And so it's a it's a good way to kind of think about well, you know, if I if I want to make a change here, maybe I can read a little bit about transformational leadership theory. And I I remember I watched you know Tony Stark try to change the following things. Maybe maybe I can do some of that in my own life. And so there's a lot of uh, different ways of thinking about leadership. A lot of times we get caught up in this idea that you have to have a title in order to lead. But as Gordon was talking about this, I started to think about um, maybe my favorite X-Men character growing up was Wolverine, mm-hmm. who many characters listened to. Uh, and he had a lot of influence. So, for example, he he is a common mentor for characters like Kitty Pride. But he's never he's never really given the leader title, right? Yeah. It's always Cyclops, it's always Storm, it's you know, occasionally Magneto joins the X-Men and decides, like, hey, I'm gonna be headmaster for a little bit. <laughs> the real um, fun episodes are, are issues, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I Gordon, I think you wanted to add something to that, right? That ultimately is a lot of those leadership processes, I think, are really important. Um, but a lot of t- you know, and that's how we kind of have impact on our lives. Um, because too often we end up feeling like, oh, I'm not in charge, so I can't do anything or I'm powerless. But there's a lot of things we can have impact on in our everyday lives in various ways. It's not suddenly everyone's going to listen, right, Frank? Of course. course. (laughs) But we can have more influence than we do. And when we don't think about it or don't try, we definitely won't have influence. And so that's kind of what we try to think in the book, reflecting on your own life a little bit and how you could be a leader and engage in this leadership, even if, as we said, you're not the boss. And so, and like you were saying earlier, Gordon, you could take some of these skills and also translate them into parenting as well. Uh, absolutely. That'd be a good next book side, parenting in the Marvel universe. Um, I need, I need that book, Gordon. My son needs to listen to me. Please show me how. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Cy and I, you know, we do this type of application all the time in our classes. Uh, and it, it gets down to that. Like I do a training methods class and I had someone design, people design training for people they know. And so one person's thing was all about how do I teach my kid to do the laundry correctly, right? And so I, I'm sure some people would be like, oh, that's not, you know, your, your, your class is supposed to be about organizations and doing the laundry is not that. But training somebody in how to, you know, use the machine in your organization and training somebody how to do the laundry uh, is, there's a lot of overlap there. And that was very meaningful to her as a, um, I think she was a stay-at-home mom while she was going to school. And so to her, her, her workforce was those kids, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, there's just so many applications to that. And so Cy and I have done that, you know, for years in our classes, we've used Marvel movies, we've used various pop culture. And so this just seemed like a natural next step to kind of, uh, you know, do, do it sort of on the big level and something we can get out there. And that's actually something that I, I think geeks do this a lot, right? And and I think Frank, this is part of the reason you have a podcast is that you want to talk about this stuff. And we what we did was we just focused the conversation around leadership and leaders in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But you know, we we always had. I remember as a kid having those debates like, who's a better leader? Is it Cyclops or Storm? Yeah. You know, who do we want leading the Avengers? Is it Captain America? Is it Tony Stark? When the when the Civil War comics were coming out, that was the that was a big heated yeah. debate. Like, who did yeah, yeah. you who 100%. did you follow? Right. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think we're just taking that and just taking what we know about the science of leadership and infusing that into the conversation. Yeah, it's it's classic. It, it reminds me of the classic Star Trek debate, which is the best captain which you're comparing leadership roles and seeing who does a better job in leadership roles. Uh, where, what started you on this path of being able to you know, be a professor in leadership? What, what led you into this field? So my, my uh, professor origin story is, so I've thought about this a lot. I've always loved the X-Men and I, I do wonder if professor X was part of the reason that I wanted to become a professor. Yeah. Um, I think that that nineties cartoon may have had a very, mm. you know, negative effect on me. It's just like, Oh, being a professor <laughs> seems cool. You get, you know, <laughs> mental, mental powers. And uh, yeah. you know, you, you have, you got a guy short and he's got claws and he takes people out for you. Uh, but for me, I, uh, when I was in college, I thought I was going to go to uh, medical school. So I thought it was going to be a South Asian stereotype. That didn't happen. Um, and when that didn't happen, I ended up uh, switching majors. I was a bio major, then became an econ major, uh, graduated, had no clue what I was going to do for a career, ended up in a job where I was doing, you know, some work that was like human resources related, and then uh, decided to do an MBA in HR management. 
And I enjoyed that stuff so much that I decided to do uh, a PhD in something called industrial organizational psychology. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And I was like, wow, I, I like this. I enjoy teaching. I love talking about this stuff. And, you know, ended up becoming a professor at uh, Farmingdale State College out in Long Island. So yeah. it was it, it wasn't like the way that we usually think of it wasn't like the Batman method of like, I'm going to plan to be a ninja and then, you know, take on all the villains of Gotham City. It was more it was more like getting getting bitten at some point by, a, you know, a psychology spider. And you're like, oh, this <laughs> yeah. is cool. I like this. I'm enjoying this. And then, you know, kind of pursuing it as a, as a dream. Shout out to Wolverine being short, by the way. Five, three guys. Let's make sure we cast somebody. Rep them the short, only, people, please. <laughs> the only bad part of Hugh Jackman's casting is that he's, he's I, too tall. 100% agree. And then everybody's casting again. They're like, oh, he's 6'2". Like, no, come on. <laughs> Wolverine doesn't know Yeah. What about you, Gordon? Was there a spider that bit you that gave you <laughs> leadership skills? Yeah, yeah. So um, growing up, you know, just was really focused on, you know, doing well in school. And so my parents... I feel like I listened to a lot of stuff and just went along. Right. And so right. my parents were like, you're supposed to do good in school, try to get good grades. And I was like, all right, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. Right. And so, so through that in high school, I got into this, this science research class. And so the idea is you do original research while you were in high school, which was a great opportunity. Now, I guess I'm a, I was a little of an oddball because everybody else in the science research class was like, my dad is a biologist. I'm going to work in a biology lab. So in Aubrey, New York, there was quite a few of these scientist types in this like biology or chemistry or physics. And so everybody else in that group was like, I'm going into these hard sciences. I'm going to be in a lab with beakers, putting stuff into various test tubes. I was like, that doesn't sound interesting at all. <laughs> you know, I think people are interesting. I'm going to do something on psychology. Uh, so I, I did some original research on psychology in high school, and I was like, yeah, this is pretty interesting. So then I went off to undergraduate at Cornell University, did uh, their industrial labor relations program, which is kind of a mix of things I was interested in, psychology yeah. and business uh, and history. And so, I was, I, you know, again, went there, get good grades, getting towards the end of that time. And I'm like, uh, I guess I can graduate soon. Like, what? the heck do I want to do? Because because yeah. the goal was to do good in school, right, Frank? Of course. Yeah. So you did that part. Now what? what? <laughs> after that, you just keep doing well in school. Yeah. <laughs> I guess at some point you got to leave. But if you go to graduate school, you don't have to leave. And so <laughs> I think that played a little bit into me was uh, one of the one of my mentors in graduate school, Brad Bell was an industrial organizational psychologist. And so I was like, I've never heard of this thing before. And I did, hadn't taken a class in it. I didn't know what it was. Um, but it's about, you know, workplace psychology and understanding people. And I was like, that sounds really interesting because I'm taking all these classes on, on work. Uh, and so that was really led me to ultimately get a master's and PhD in industrial organizational psychology. Uh, and I liked sort of that research and, and teaching people. And that sort of led me to go into uh, to, to then get a full time job in, in teaching leadership yeah. uh, and, and all of that stuff. So so sort of just kind of a path of like you're a good student at some point, you got to start doing a real job. I feel like <laughs> well, what ended up happening for me at least. Yeah. The, the irony of these stories is that Gordon and I advise students and we don't tell them to do this like fly by night, figure yeah. things out. We're, we're <laughs> like, really think about what you want, get some experience in an internship. And we're just kind of like, oh, I decided Meanwhile. to do a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big question with advising. Oh man, we're going to turn this into a, a weird podcast for you, Frank. Uh, but, <laughs> But but like it, really, we want people to think about where what what to check out different stuff and look into things and figure out yeah. what they really want. Because a lot of times we ask you know eighteen year olds to be like, okay, I'm going to be a biologist for sixty years, the rest of you know my life or something. And that's you know it's crazy. And so you know some in academics are trying to do more of okay, you should explore stuff and figure it out. And you know my my, my current job, we've got a class where you take you basically look at all the different things the business school offers your first year. Mm -hmm. And through that, you know, you might've thought you really wanted to be in marketing and then you really find you, you love accounting. Right. Yeah. And so in, you switch into that and, you know, they set it up. So if you decide to switch from marketing to accounting in the first year, you're still okay. Yeah. Um, and so I think those things are really useful because yeah, it's really hard to know. And they even have that at the grad school level, right? Cy, 
is you go to grad school and they're like, okay, you're going to do this huge hundreds of page dissertation. You better know what you want. And day one, you better know who you want to work with. So you're going to a school where, you know, each research, each of the professors are doing a very specific thing and you're supposed to know, okay, I'm going to be doing leader member exchange the rest of my life. That's what I love. I only know it a little bit. I've done nothing yet, but I'm going to love it the rest of my life. So it's wild. Yeah. Paths, actual career paths are crazy to my mind. <laughs> yeah, educational paths too. I know for the community uh, college scene here in California, one of the big things that things are pushing now is that instead of going for like a two year, that transfer immediately. Now they're like, why don't you guys do it? They just started this new thing about two years ago where it's, you get the two year degree and uh, AA or AS in it so that you have something. And oh, then from there you could change your path if you need to. So it's like they're trying to build in flexibility, knowing, look, you're going to yeah. change your major four or five times anyways. Let's make sure that it's at least built into the system. And so you can me, it's where you're at too. So starting yeah. at 18, you know, the research on brain development suggests that through our 20s, our brains are still changing. We're not fixed yeah. in our oh, 20s. And so like I have a friend who I went to graduate school who, you know, she never really liked school. And then halfway through undergraduate, she took a psychology class and suddenly she found the thing that she cared about, right? And yeah. so she went from being like a C student to being like an A student because she found that thing and she had an aptitude, but no one had ever really introduced it to her until she randomly yeah. took a psych course. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the weird things. It's very hard to know what you really like or what interests you without experiencing something. And so I think yeah. those experiences are really crucial if we can get people those experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you want to mention, add on to that side? I was just gonna. I was just gonna say that this also applies to, uh, to leadership, right? Because sometimes uh, people people who could be really good leaders, they they're like it's too much work, right? right? It's too much work. I don't I don't want to be in charge. And so if you really want to, if you're let's say you're running an organization, you have a small business, you have a really great employee, and you think, hey, maybe they could be a manager. Uh, but they say, I don't want that responsibility. This is like a temporary gig for me. I don't want to be here that long. Then you've got to kind of figure out, well, does this person want that experience? And I think the, you know, the book series that we've written in, it helps people think about leadership much more flexibly. And it gives everybody a way to kind of almost uh, experience leadership vicariously through like a, a movie or a TV show. And they can say, wow, yeah. I, you know, I'm watching the Guardians of the Galaxy and each of them are a lead at a certain point in the movie, right there, you know, sometimes it's Rocket, sometimes it's Groot, sometimes it's uh, Star-Lord. Maybe, maybe I could do it as a part of the team that I'm a part of. And I would love for people to be more open to those uh, to those types of opportunities because uh, looking at the way things are right now, we, we need better leaders, right? Uh, yeah. uh, across the country, across the world. Yeah. And if somebody could do it, uh, I want them to at least think like, yeah, I, I think I could try it. Yeah, well, and I think that's, you know, Try to digress this again back to what I was talking about. <laughs> um, but that's that's a career path thing, too, because I think a lot yeah. of people are like, well, if, if I'm just working here for the short term, I, I'm not a leader. And so I don't need to develop leadership skills or get better. But you can learn skills and develop anywhere you are significantly. And so a job you're in for two years that isn't your future career, you could learn skills that are very, very relevant to you. But oftentimes we'll just be like, okay, this is my career and this is just something I'm doing. But you're something you're doing, you could also learn a lot from. I think running a podcast, for instance, coordinating different people, talking to people, learning new things. Yeah. Um, all of those logistics to me, that's that involves a whole bunch of leadership, a whole bunch of influence, a whole bunch of very whole, well uh, Google Calendar. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. We, yeah. Um, we don't necessarily yeah. think about it that way, but I I think it does too. To my yeah. <laughs> now, there's a term that I, I've always found to be very true, that this uh, natural born leadership and somebody who's just like naturally born a leader. And when we look at, you know, with like Leaders Assemble, your guys' book and in the MCU, do you guys see anybody who's a natural born leader? And the adverse of that, do you see anybody who's been pushed into responsibility and had to adapt to the role? So natural born leader, I think um, the one character that really... He, he doesn't change a whole lot. And I think he kind of has a lot of natural leadership capabilities is, uh, is Captain America. Yeah. But I will say something interesting about his character. So when we think about leaders, there's a particular image we have in mind. And so Captain America, Steve Rogers doesn't change. Like when he's 
a scrawny 98 pound weakling. He's still pretty much the same guy as he is when he's a 260 pound, you know, superhero. The only difference is people's perception of whether or not he think, you know, he could be, could be a leader. Um, You know, and I think that's one thing that, that is really interesting. He's kind of built to lead. He's built to be like a servant leader. He wants to help people and people follow him out of respect uh, and so I think he has that capability. I think a lot of that has to do with like, oh, can I recognize this person as a leader? Can I see them as a leader beyond just, you know, like the, the character of the person, um, especially given the first movie. Uh, I think it's very hard for people to see anybody his size at that time without like physical strength uh, to be a leader. But what's really interesting is that during the time period that Captain America is is uh you know, during World War II, our leader is somebody that that during that time in the U.S. is somebody that we most often wouldn't think of as leaders. FDR, yeah. FDR yeah. is wheelchair bound. Um, I can't imagine uh, how difficult it would be now for somebody who's in a wheelchair or who is visibly disabled to be perceived as a leader. That's that's one thing that you know. Hopefully, we can we can change in the future. Of course, yeah. And the FDR, I, I just as a side note, I think was one of our more prominent. Uh, leadership leaders, you know, what I'm saying who knew fireside chats was important, making sure that there was a voice that you heard that yeah. you reckon and so many things. It's it very interesting. And, and uh, uh, foreign policy, like pushing the planes across the Canada so they're picked up over there, things like that just yeah. needed to get done. Um, how would Steve Rogers change that perception outside of getting super soldier serum? Would there be any steps he could take to like embrace that leadership role and be seen uh, differently? Gordon, did you want to answer that one? <laughs> I'm an expert in Captain America, but I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, I think so, and I think that's a question of finding somewhere where you can have impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I'm, I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest this as a criticism per se of Steve Rogers, but you know we we see in the movie he just keeps trying to enroll in the military to fight it, right? Yeah, uh, and so we can see that is very laudable. He wants to help. Uh, you know, he doesn't like bullies uh, and, you know, it works out where he has a very big impact. So from a narrative perspective, it's great. Right. And we have Captain America because he did that. Yeah. But there might have been somewhere else he could have had a lot of impact on the civilian side or on the non-physical side where he could have been. He could have been a great leader of, you know, relief efforts or in some other area, yeah, um, yeah. you know, because in those areas, they wouldn't say, oh, well, you're not big enough. You need a super soldier formula to apply for this job, right? He, he, as he was, as a potential inspirational leader, as a good person, as somebody with a good aptitude for leadership, he could have been really good. So maybe we have President Steve Rogers later versus uh, Popsicle Steve Rogers, you know, for 70 years. That's a what if comic in the making right there, President <laughs> Steve Rogers. I, I, I call us Marvel. We've had someone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, President Captain America type stuff. But yeah, I'd be in, yeah, he's if he's a president in 1952, I'd be yeah. into I'd read it. <laughs> Me too. Uh, all right, Gordon, do you think can you think of a, another superhero or another person in the MCU that was pushing into leadership and had to adapt to it? Um, so I think there's a, so I actually think the Guardians of the Galaxy are a great example of some of this. So Star Lord to me, you know, doesn't get at least from what we see a good setup to be like, oh, I'm a leader. Uh, he's got sort of this uh, relationship with Wandu that's, you know, a little fractured, even though it's sort of father-son. Not that they see it, not that he sees it that way, right? And so I think he becomes a leader here, but he's often been a loner doing his own thing. And so I don't think he's set up very well for being a leader, but he also doesn't have those expectations that people are going to listen or just go along, right? Because that's yeah. what we see with some leaders. They come in and expect everybody's going to listen. And they don't, or you're because I'm the boss. And some of the worst leaders, that's what they do, right? And so I think Star Lord's actually really great for the Guardians because he comes into it and he knows there's going to be conflict and he knows he doesn't see himself as just the boss. And so therefore he can deal with everybody's got their own perspective in their own direction. Certainly somebody like Rocket in the Guardians as well falls in this category. Nobody thinks the raccoon is going to be a leader of people, right? Although yeah. he is a leader of Groot, to a significant degree, has a big influence on sort of his partner there. Um, but these are people that neither of them, I think you would say this 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 guy or this rodent is going to be a leader. I, but they are good at what they do, and they both can step in when the need has. Yeah. So uh, to, to me, both of those are people that don't show great aptitude 
but whether it's hidden or whether the situation allows them to be good, I definitely think they become pretty decent leaders within within the context. And then, Gordon, I am surprised by that answer because I I I had a guess as to what you were going to say, and that that was not the answer that I was expecting. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so I thought you were going to say Ant Man because I know you love Ant Man. So yeah, yeah. <clears throat> because you know the way Paul Rudd plays that character, uh, he does not seem like he's ever going to be a leader, but he ends up being a better leader than uh, Hank Pym. Right. Hank is smarter than him, has more money, has more resources. But, you know, Scott Lang has a team that's willing to follow him. He's able to reconcile with uh, Hank's daughter and, and, and in, improve that relationship in a way that uh, Hank himself was not able to. Yeah. Uh, and so that's almost like a cautionary tale is if you have a leader that's been in charge for a really long time, sometimes you got to move move that person out. And then put somebody new in who can kind of reconcile some of those issues. Yeah, Sai, and that's a good point because I was thinking about that too a little bit. Is a lot of times when you talk about natural born leaders, um, we're talking about people with all the connections and born into positions like that. So even somebody like FDR, very rich family, people yeah. that were leaders related to Teddy Roosevelt, the former president. So if somebody is going to be prepared in their life for being a leader or as the connections, FDR is ready to go. I think he did a great job with it. And a lot of people, um, you know, in that circumstance still do bad because they think, oh, I'm, I'm the boss. People will listen. But, yeah, it's really interesting with that with Hank Pym because, yeah, he's got the expertise. He's got the experience. But, you know, he's a dick. Really, in almost <laughs> every reality, Hank Pym is a dick. And I do like that the movies really leaned into that as being OK. And Mike Douglas does a great job of uh, of filling that role where. And Scott, again, is unassuming. You don't think of him as a leader, but he's leading that security crew uh, of, of guys that he has. Um, he, you know, he's he's really having impact, but in a mostly unassuming type way, we don't think of him as that big flashy leader. Um, so, yeah, good. thanks for bringing that up, Sai. That's true. <laughs> I do it, love it's that. really Paul. It's Paul Rudd's abs that are doing most of the leading <laughs> in, that, in that movie. Guys, ageless. It's, it's unreal. It's unfair. Everybody's uh, ripped in the MCU, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jamal Nanjiani's ripped, and then he gets to Obi-Wan and go back to normal, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Hank Pym's really good, too, because he also shows, like Hank Pym, especially like in the comic books, um, shows the mental strain and the mental health issues that comes with leadership sometimes when you're in that role for too long and not managing it well. It, what could Hank Pym have done better so that he didn't face the issues he did face in the comic books? That's a big question. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll mention a few things inside can probably draw on some other stuff, but I think one of the things we don't see a lot in the comics, which I think would happen all the time with superhero teams in, in a real life, whatever that means. Right. Um, <laughs> is that, that idea of feeling jealous of others or feeling inadequate. Right. And you sometimes see in this in the comics, when people are, are pushing back against superheroes or banning them, they're like, the fact there's Superman makes me feel like less of a person because He's got all this power, right? right. Uh, and so I feel like Hank Pym has some of that within the Avengers just throughout the time because we've got Thor, we've got Iron Man, you know, <laughs> for about one issue, we've got Hulk <laughs> at the start, <laughs> right? And so you've got these people and you that are very accomplished in what they do. Captain America comes back and in theory, if you just had somebody with Hank Pym's powers versus a dude like Captain America, you'd expect that Hank Pym would grow big and crush him or have him get eaten by ants or something. So you'd yeah. assume Hank Pym would win in a fight, right? But Captain America comes in and he becomes a leader, right? He starts having a lot of impact on stuff. And so it definitely makes sense that that really weighs on Hank, especially somebody who's very sort of, uh, Hank's very male and very traditional in that way. Uh, when, when I would argue Hank's got to let go of, it's okay to not be the leader all the time, right? It's okay to follow and give your input when it matters. Um, but I think kind of that pressure to be that leader. Uh, and I've seen some interesting analysis related to that as the Wasp becomes a great leader in the comics yeah. uh, in the 80s. And, and Hank is really, and so, and Hank doesn't have that same amount of influence ultimately. And so there's, I've, I've definitely read some of that, some of those types of things of some of the instability, you know, his, uh, his big famous slap. Um, of his wife yeah. are, are all this sort of this mental instability that builds. Although I've been reading the, the Avengers starting at, at issue one 
Oh, wow. uh, and Hank's got instability throughout. So there are definitely yeah. some problems right away. I think he needed, he needs some therapy. He needs some uh, real self-reflection um, on, on what he's doing. And he probably needs some actual time away to like, think about what's going on. He goes away in the comics some, but it's often like, oh, I'm being a scientist for a while. And then he comes yeah. back. Um, but yeah, there's, only, there's very few times when he's really at a good spot. Um, there was a Mighty Avengers run. I think Dan, I think it was Dan Slott might've done where I think he did a decent job. And ironically, that's after the wasp died is after his wife dies. It almost like he can then be a little bit of a better person on it where he doesn't feel overshadowed. Again, that's something you should talk to your marriage therapist on that. That's (laughs) the best Hank Pym is when his, his loving wife is gone. Um, But for him, there is definitely that pressure thing. I feel like he's somebody who would have been good, you know, going to the defenders or some other team where he was not just, yeah, the fifth best choice to be leader and fifth best might be, you know, over overstating the case. Some smaller team, he might have been good on it, although his leadership skills might just be lacking in his perspective. So I don't I know. Do, I, no, I do remember him on West Coast Avengers. He was not a leader really on West Coast Avengers. This was after like he got into trouble and, you know, there, there's that joke now that like the things that men will do to avoid therapy. I guess Hank Pym will shrink himself rather than go to therapy. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I, I do think the one thing that, that had, that would have helped Hank a lot is if he had found a mentor, uh, you know, or somebody to talk to, he, he really needed to humble himself a little bit to kind of take mentorship from another person. And this is something we talk about in the book is that, uh, that having somebody in that mentorship role that can kind of guide you can kind of help you can kind of check you a little bit and kind of say like, Hey, it seems like you're having some real problems. You need to go to therapy or you need to go develop some of your leadership skills, your communication skills, your delegation skills. Uh, and I think that has a huge impact in the movies. We see the impact that Tony Stark's mentorship has on Spider-Man. Yeah. Right. He, he's a very different character by the end of his, his experience with, with Tony than, than at the beginning. And you really get to see that that impact that you can have on a high school kid uh, just by being there, being available, especially for somebody like Peter who doesn't have uh, like a father figure in his life anymore. That really has a huge impact. And even when you're working somewhere, having somebody that you can bounce ideas off of, um, being being that person can be very valuable. And we know from a lot of research that mentors uh, get as much out of that mentoring relationship as mentees. Uh, I think Tony get gains a lot from uh, that experience with, with Spider-Man by being his mentor. Uh, you know, I think that kind of prepares him for fatherhood later on in the MCU, uh, where you see that he can actually have a kid and, and be a parent. Um, that That is a big change because in, you know, Iron Man 1, that guy is not taking care of any kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we actually, it's, it's funny when you look at the Iron Man path, especially in MCU, and, and you relate, relate it to Hank Pym, there's just a couple couple steps that could have gone either way and we could have seen yeah. Tony Stark down the same path where he yeah. takes too much on himself and he ends up uh, going off the rails a little bit and becomes Yellow Jacket. Um, <laughs> you talk about different versions of leadership. We have shared leadership, servant leadership, authentic leadership. Can you give? Can you explain a little bit of what those are and, and maybe some examples we could pull from the MCU? Sure. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll start with servant leadership because I kind of mentioned this one before, but Captain America is a great example of servant leadership. In Captain America First Avenger, you see that he's the first one to jump on that grenade, and that's what a good servant leader does. Is a servant leader sees themselves as being the one to clear the path for uh, their followers so that they can, you know, kind of make it through and, and get the work done. And that's part of the reason I think servant leadership is so powerful and, and, and so popular is that it, it really changes the role of a leader from being somebody that I command you to go do this for me. And it's more like, well, what can I do to help you to accomplish uh, this? All right, Gordon, which one would you like to tackle? Next? I, I can do uh, authentic leadership. Uh, so authentic leadership, we talk about in the book related to, to, to Iron Man, to Tony Stark. Um, and it, to, authentic leadership to some degree is acting truthfully and open and honest with the, your team, with the people that you work with. Uh, and so it is, it is essentially about being kind of being yourself, right? Uh, and a lot of times in leadership, we have kind of this, this fronting, right? Is the leader is perfect. The leader doesn't make mistakes. The leader is the best in everything. 
And we see that all the time with a lot of the CEOs and others uh, that we, you know, sometimes get worshipped so much out there in the world. Uh, so I might laugh because I mention them all the time here, but like Steve Jobs, right? Right. Yeah. Like Steve Jobs is the greatest programmer of all time, the greatest leader of all time. And Apple made a huge mistake when they fired him that one time. Well, at the time they were trying to scale up and he was a very bad businessman and wouldn't let go. They should have fired him then. Apple would be out of business now if they had kept him at the time. Yeah. Uh, and he is not the best programmer at Apple by a wide margin. Steve Wozniak is exactly right. And a bunch of other people too. Wozniak's one of the few we actually know because he's genius and we've learned enough. But Steve Jobs was not the best that. He was good at vision stuff, especially later on. He was able to project sort of a vision to the public and people very well that was appealing. Those are to be lauded, but we often talk about Steve Jobs as if we should all be programmers like Steve Jobs. Nope. We should be ethical like Steve Jobs. No, he stole work from Wozniak, did a bunch of crap. Uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, and so I think that that's one of the things that can, that can come up all the time is that we don't have leaders that are authentic. I think that's one thing with Tony Stark that I really like is, you know, he is inherently kind of a jerk and kind of selfish. Uh, and we might think for him to be a good leader, he needs to be a saint and give up all of his earthly desires, right? But that's not him being authentic to himself. And I think that's one of the interesting arcs we see in the Iron Man movies and we talk about it in the chapter is various times Tony talks about you know, quitting being Iron Man and he blows up all his armors in Iron Man 3 and then I guess rebuilds them five minutes later for the next yeah. movie because <laughs> the Avengers have to go on, right? <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, but basically he keeps trying to be like, I've got to be good in a conventional sense. I need to be, you know, the guy doing philanthropy or we don't sell weapons anymore. I need to be on the sidelines. I need to retire as the hero. But that's not who Tony is. Tony is a wise ass. He's somebody who wants to be out there on the front line doing the super uh, super heroics. And he can't be his best leader when he's pretending to be somebody else. Uh, and so I think that his path across the movies shows him trying to get more in touch with that, of being who he is, as well as being a good leader, as opposed to trying to be a perfect leader or trying to be something else. Because where he starts at Iron Man 1 is he, in theory, you know, he's bragging about dating supermodels and being rich and everybody loves him, but he is miserable. He's miserable. He hates his life. And it takes the kidnapping and all that for him to realize I need to change. And we talk about in the chapter, the self-awareness. He, he, he becomes aware that he cares about the world. He wants to have a positive impact. He does want to lead others, but it isn't suddenly the light switch flips and suddenly he's perfect. It takes time for him to develop. It takes experience. Uh, and his arc couldn't have happened without that. You couldn't have went from Iron Man 1 to Avengers Endgame, right? You really, he really needed to struggle and move back and forth and make mistakes because that's really what life is. It's not just progression from nothing to perfection, right? It's improving and getting better and finding out, oh, we're doing this wrong or we could get better. That's at least my my view. And so that's kind of what authentic leadership is. People feel, you know, I, I feel like I understand Frank and what he does and what he's about. You know, is he perfect? No, but I can trust him. Uh, and I know he's he's gonna he's gonna do his best and 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 that. And that's kind of how how we talk about it within the chapter. Uh is is that so that's the authentic leadership part. For authentic leadership, uh, in comparison, especially to something like servant leadership, do you think authentic leadership learns to delegate and work with others more so than say like you're saying with Steve Jobs who's almost like put up as on a pedestal do you yeah, think yeah. the authentic leaders learn that look I need others to better myself like Tony Stark in the first movie nobody oh, yeah. else around him but over time learn that like look I don't like Steve Rogers sometimes but I need him to check me yeah yeah I think I think there is that level of being checked and being authentic and being aware you need skills or development because that's one of the big things we'll see with leaders all the time is they're good at a lot of things but they're bad at something and they don't know. So mm -hmm. I would say someone like Mark Zuckerberg, I wouldn't put him in front of a microphone ever. Yeah. He doesn't project well at all. Um, you know, I think the same thing when Michael Eisner was in charge of Disney, he wanted to be Walt Disney out there in front of the camera. He was not charismatic. 
Uh, yeah. Maybe he's gotten better now and he's charismatic. I haven't seen him recently um, very often, but he was doing, you know, the Disney Disney presents and you're just like, this guy's awkward. He shouldn't be doing that again. Yeah. Nothing wrong with somebody else being your spokesperson or, or doing that. Uh, and, you know, if Steve Jobs is the one who can go out there and project for your business what it's doing, great. That's the dude who should be doing it. Your best programmer doesn't need to be your best public speaker. And so I think that that definitely comes up quite a bit. I think servant leaders inside, you can jump in in a minute here. They can delegate and they can help, but there can be the downside sometimes a servant is you can feel like I've got to do everything or I have to sacrifice. Uh, and that can be bad because sometimes it's not the best for everyone, even though you're sacrificing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. With, with servant leaders, especially, they tend to take on a lot of the work and good leaders actually delegate more of the work. They're not supposed to be the ones doing uh, most of the stuff. And, and I think we've all had managers that did a lot of the work and we really liked them, but they were doing too much. And so they weren't able to coordinate. And so one thing we see across a lot of leadership theories is you could kind of put uh, leadership behaviors into two broad buckets. The first is uh, keeping your group, your team, whoever you're leading task focused. So if you're a leader, and you don't push anybody to actually accomplish the work, that's bad leadership, right? You're not getting what needs to be done done. The other side of it is if you just push all the time and you're not caring, you don't show any care for the relationships that you have with people, nobody's gonna wanna keep working with you. So the second bucket is that relationship stuff. So leaders have to stay focused on the task. They have to make sure that they're able to, you know, if they need to get resources or help their, their teams accomplish work, they need to be able to do that. But then they also have to maintain a healthy work environment, keep, you know, good norms. They don't want to be rewarding people just because, oh, I'm your friend, even though you did something wrong, I'm going to protect you, which we see oftentimes in many organizations. We see that all the time. So, you know, good leaders are able to balance those things. And you can see that each, you know, leader in the MCU, they're sometimes better at certain things and others. So if you needed a task done, like if you needed a new system built, Tony's your guy. He might rub everybody the wrong way. He may not be as good at the relationship stuff, but he'll get that task done and he'll he'll have his team complete that. Whereas somebody like, you know, Steve Rogers, he may not have that technical capability. He might be able to, you know, kind of bring everybody together and say, hey, hey what do you need? Let me help you. And then you guys can finish this work. Yeah. And then uh, can you guys uh, discuss the shared leadership as well? Sure, I can talk a little bit about shared leadership. So we talked a little bit about the Guardians of the Galaxy being, um, you know, a team of shared leaders. Like if you watch the Guardians movie, they're really individuals and they're individuals that are joining together. They're forming a group. They're forming a team. But they, you know, can do pretty much everything on their own for the most part, right? But each of them takes the, the leadership role at different points in time. So for example, uh, during the prison break, Rocket is our leader, right? He's the one who sets the agenda. He's the one who says, here's what the plan is. Here's what we're gonna do. Uh, you know, Near the end before the big battle, Star-Lord is the one that says, hey, everybody, we need to get together. We need to do this. We need to figure this out. Uh, and at different times in different parts of these movies, different characters are leaders, right? And at the very, at the very end, the character that you think, oh, he's not going to lead anybody. But right at the very end, you see that Groot kind of brings everybody together. He heals yeah. those relationships and he helps them refocus on the task at hand by saying that, oh, we are Groot. Right. He sets that mission for everybody to get them through that last part of the first Guardians movie. And it's weird to think about Groot leading anybody because he literally only says one word. But sometimes the actions of a leader and the care that the that followers have for a leader can can be that force. One thing that we see in the leadership literature, especially when it comes to teams, is that if you have uh, a group of people working together, they understand the mission. They're committed to one another. They're committed to the organization they can actually work independently. We see that a lot in tech companies where there are very clear roles, there are very clear things that people are going to do. And, you know, they, you know, leader kind of says, hey, here's your assignment, here's what you're going to do. You can come to me if you need support, but otherwise you're kind of independent. I always feel like the Guardians of the Galaxy are sort of like that. They're sure, they're in the same space, they're working in the same area, 
they're going on missions together, but they're really independent and they kind of come together and switch off roles very easily. Yeah. I, I was going to say as well, just to add to a little bit, I think the Avengers can do that. It doesn't come up as much in the MCU because you've got kind of these big events. But in the comic, a lot of the best comics, every member has some type of value for the situation, right? And so a lot of times they will lead in a situation. So somebody like Black Widow as a team member will step up when we're talking about espionage or delicate work, Thor related to Asgard those types of things. You know, I think the, the old joke always with uh, cartoons and like the Justice League was you'd always have something happen in the water. <laughs> so Aquaman would have something to do, yeah. right? And that's like a joke, but that is often going to be true on teams. We have situations where this person is the most knowledgeable, the most skilled, the one who can really direct our work in particular ways. We see it sometimes cross-culturally. So if we're going to be doing business with Japan, well, we've got one guy who's the expert on how that works and how we should negotiate or what we should do. Uh, and so in that situation, that person should be in charge. That's shared leadership. And people feel okay. Okay, I'm taking a second seat here, a third seat, because somebody else is best for this situation, this context. In the MCU, do you see a story developing or a story you want to explore more where somebody's taking a leadership role and you think that you should really spotlight it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the big things we saw when putting the book together, uh, we've got a chapter on women in leadership within the MCU. Uh, and so it got us to think a lot more about Black Widow and specifically the, the five-year gap period. Um, so the movies cover that, you know, pretty, pretty vaguely, right? It's sort of like, well, the hero's lost, half the population is gone, the world sucks. And then we're kind of like mostly like five years later. Yeah. And so we only get kind of a hint of what happens. Um, but what happens, it seems, is that Black Widow kind of steps up and is the leader uh, and sort of takes over this whole thing. Um, you know, it definitely speaks to some of the sexism and prejudices that we have in society is that Black Widow seems to get her opportunity because Tony Stark leaves, Hulk leaves, Thor goes off, uh, Cap Looks like he's helping people deal with grief, but not really doing the leadership part of the Avengers. And so what we see in, you know, in Endgame early is Black Widow's kind of running the Avengers and sort of the world of superheroes interacting with others uh, in the world uh, about what's going on. And so she's a very important job and she's been doing it for a while, right? And so it's a period of time I'd be really interested in us covering more because Unlike some movies, when we take a look at these big uh, catastrophic events, um, the world seems to be doing pretty good considering this happens. Half the population dies and the world seems to be functioning kind of normally five years later, right? Yeah. We've got, we got war memorials and stuff like that. People are sad. We're still dealing with things. But the world is functioning a lot better than I would have expected you know, in that situation. And I would say uh, Black Widow uh, and others, Captain, you know, Captain Marvel and, and War Machine, okay, all, all these people have had a great impact and probably went through a lot of things to make the world better in this very bad situation. Uh, and so I think Black Widow probably is a very good leader and had a lot of good impact, but we haven't covered it in these movies uh, really at all, right? Yeah. Uh, and that, of course, is something that I think is kind of tragic is, you know, Scott Lang comes back and says, we got a solution. And then suddenly all the old white dudes <laughs> that were in charge, Cap and then Tony, yeah. the whole come back and say, all right, a man's going to take over again. Right. And so she goes back to just being another member of the team. When, when I would argue she's got five years of experience and the most stressful and the biggest crisis the world has ever known. She probably has a lot more to add to, to the situation. And so it's a bit of a shame that she didn't do that. And there's actually research that talks about this a little bit, is there's this idea of the glass cliff. And so you might have heard of the glass ceiling for right. women and minorities. They can't get above a certain level. But there's an interesting other idea, which is the idea of the glass cliff, uh, which suggests that uh, women tend to be promoted in situations when there's been a big scandal or when the company is doing badly. 
uh, those types of situations. So basically women get the keys to the, you know, the keys to the kingdom when you're in the worst possible situation, when you're yeah. most likely to fail. And then and when of there's, course, there's when like a PR fails, that like benefits from it too. You always see that. I can't stand that. We see a lot right now with video game companies. Sorry to cut you off, Gordon, but yeah. uh, we see a lot with video game companies where it's like, oh, sexual harassment scandal. Quickly promote the uh, woman so that we can say, look, we're not sexual harassers. We have a woman as leading. And it's like, oh, yeah, guys. The <laughs> situation is so sad with that too, because the, the female leader wasn't on her own, was paired with somebody and then exactly. left much earlier, right? It's yeah. That is a great illustration of how it goes, right? Yeah. Uh, and so to, to some degree, I feel like Black Widow did a great job in a very glass ceiling situation. You don't want to be in charge when half the population yeah. has disappeared and most of the major heroes are like, I'm quitting due to PTSD. I need a break. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, it's definitely a pretty good example of that glass, glass cliff. And so in, in really watching the movies again, that came out a lot more when narratively, I think they mostly kind of pass it over. We don't really think of that five years as a big thing. I, I would love to see more of that. Uh, you know, I think Falcon and the Winter Soldier goes into a little bit of some yeah. of the people affected but i would love to have more stuff right in that in that period of what's going on because i think it'd be really interesting to see um you know how do we deal with this big thing it's a different situation than you know yeah. punch really hard to beat the bad guy yeah you know yeah <laughs> so it's not I, really I, a hulk situation yeah. and and falcon and the soldier did address one situation where they said um a lot of the people that were displaced like in our normal sadly in our normal lives refugees and whatnot found new homes they felt people mm -hmm. needed to work people need so that shift in i mean think of how big of a shift that would be social in society and here mm -hmm. you had black widow running natasha running the show during this and uh just shows like the humanitarian efforts that were going in place which is something that avengers yeah. also does outside of just fighting thanos is all the yeah. humanitarian stuff and that was all in place there too yeah absolutely yeah, yeah sure what, do you, what about you, Sai? Is there anybody, any particular story or leadership you want to see spotlighted? You know, I would love to see Cap, more Captain Marvel stuff during during the blip, um, especially because Ms. Marvel's coming out. And one of the things that I've been hearing a lot is uh, people are kind of saying like, well, why does, why does Kamala Khan like Captain Marvel so much? You know, Captain Marvel is also one of those characters that's left during the blip. And she's kind of handling a lot of the cosmic stuff. She's got, you know, uh, she may not be as prominent a leader as uh, Natasha during this time, but I'd love to see what she's doing. Uh, I would love to see a Black Widow too, where it's, you know, Natasha and uh, and Carol Danvers kind of working together on something, uh, just to get the most bang for your buck out of out of uh, a, a film. I think it'd be really interesting to see, uh, and it would be really interesting to see a human character interacting almost as a representative of Earth. Yeah. With all of these characters from from Guardians and with all the aliens and things like that, that would be really a cool you know thing to see in terms of negotiation. You know, what do you do when you're negotiating from a position maybe not of the most strength, right? Like uh, Earth generally doesn't have as much technology, doesn't have as much power as some of these other places. What does somebody like Captain Marvel do in that situation? Uh, even though she herself is arguably the most powerful character in in the MCU, right? Yeah. Um, so very that would be a really super interesting thing to see, uh, and also just to see you know two female leaders together would be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, my my hope is like when we eventually get X Men that we get Storm as the leader of the X Men pretty quick. Yes, please. <laughs> well, and I think that's an interesting. Like I've seen talk online of like, oh, Miss Marvel is replacing Captain Mar, you know, Captain Marvel, and you know this sort of there's only one or the other, and we see this all the time with female leaders or minority leaders as well. We've got one that's that's enough. Right. Uh, and so it's a big universe with people working together and they fill very different roles. Uh, and so I think that'd be, that a, a blip series would be a great series to show that female 100%. leader. Really. I never thought about it, but now that's all I'm thinking about is how you could just do one, just put Danvers going from each planet to planet. First off, explaining what happened because nobody else knows about Thanos and all these other planets. So we're like, hey, by the way, half your people are gone because of this one jerk, this purple dude. And, and then also just being like, what's the most pressing issue? I have other planets to visit. What do we need to fix right now? And so she tries her best. I mean, that that's a series right there for sure. It's so Earth-centric, right? You're like, half the population of the whole universe disappeared, yeah. but only Earth got the televised. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this this backwater planet that doesn't have anything the Nova Corps has. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're the center of everything right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I really like about this book, and, and, and I want to make sure that everybody understands is, 
you learn so much about leadership. And again, that's part of everyday life beyond just in my workplace or anything like that. There's all kinds of leadership, parenting, and just even in your friend circle, when you try to figure out who's going to go to, to where, where we're going to go to eat for dinner, guys, it's oh. the leader that's going to say, look, let's just go to Sizzlers. <laughs> you know? um, but you're also going to be able to rewatch the MCU movies and appreciate them in a new way. So I want to make sure you guys check this out. It's called Leaders Assemble Leadership in the MCU. You can grab it on Amazon. And I'm sure in many bookstores, so. Amazon, Amazon's a spot. Um, you know, that's the the mo- probably most common place. I believe Barnes and Noble also has it on the Barnes website. Yeah. So definitely, Walmart any, any place well. we can get the Walmart has books. Walmart, there. there we go. Yes. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was on Barnes and Noble. I know that sometimes they don't have some and stuff like that. So that's what well, I wasn't sure about. Yeah, I think it's on most places online. Okay. Fine. If you're in the local area, my local area, Capital Book, Capital City Books, go help, go support the local guys. We always appreciate that. Um, okay, so. Where can they follow you guys, your, your Twitter accounts, your Instagrams? Uh, let's start with you, Gordon. Where, where, where can people follow you? Yeah, so I've got a Twitter account. It's, it's at IO Psychology. Um, and if you want it for the show notes, I can certainly get you that too. Um, I'm, on, I'm on LinkedIn as well. If you just look up Gordon Schmidt, um, you probably can find my face there too. Um, yeah, we do LinkedIn more, Frank, of course, because we're professors. Professors, oh gosh. Uh, so, so probably Twitter. Twitter's best. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've been talking about comics quite a bit on on Twitter. Twitter lately too. So we got some fun comic discussion too. Yeah, uh, I know you threw out some Star Trek questions today too. I was like, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I, Star Trek. I said because I was watching Next Generation to start, and it's fascinating. They're like, well, you can't be married and be a captain. That's just not the life. And so it's yeah. really weird. It's really wild stuff when you look at some of that now is it's, yeah, they talk, you know, obviously you talk about all the sci-fi is really about the era it's actually in. Yeah. And so that stuff, it's like, it's, it's, you know, whatever number of years in the future, but it's really 1987. <laughs> yeah. Well, even like with the sixties version with the, with the original series, uh, there's a through line uh, plot of, well, Kirk can never really love a woman because he loves his ship instead. Oh. And, and so there's like, okay, what does that mean? And can he, develop as a human without you know be on the ship so, yeah so. yeah it's really interesting yeah, i'm curious I'd, i i love star, we love star trek too as well and we're yeah. such big fan fans of it over time so yeah classic gordon are you sure that they're they're not allowed to have, be married and no, and captain a ship allowed. but like, there's a whole are these jedi rules like well what is this so, so Riker and try have a discussion when like there's oh. an episode season one is uh season one is a dumpster fire of next oh, time <laughs> It is for each of them. So, but thing. they also were trying to figure stuff out. So like, I feel yeah. for them, but I don't know how I could recommend the series to someone. I'm like, well, you'll watch like 20 hours that are really bad. Mostly. Yeah. Um, actually, my favorite from season one is actually Tasha Yar, which is really interesting because they make her feel kind of human. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. everyone else is like, you know, uh, we don't have emotions as much, you know, it's, it's a weird, but so Troy and Riker have a discussion where uh, like, they're, they're like, Oh, you're st- we're still kind of in love, but you want to be a captain. So obviously you couldn't get married because your career is so important. So Frank, kind of what you're saying with, with captain Kirk. And I feel that way with Picard too. It's like, yeah. well, you can't have romantic entanglements because you're a captain, which is interesting because next generation in theory is about, we've got a ship with families and families all. on it. Yeah. It's like the opening yeah. line of the, the whole series. I don't, you so rarely see anyone, other kids. It's like, yeah, it, I don't, yeah, the whole it's, it's fascinating to me. The sort of the whole underlying stuff there. Mm. That's the thing, like cyanide professors too. You know, we're nerdy with really the, the weird details of stuff I get into when yeah. I'm watching something. I was like, I wonder how this works here. And yeah, I'd send a question about pets and Star Trek is like, did everyone yeah. stop with pets mostly? I data's got a cat, I think, or something. Data's got a cat. Yeah. Janeway has a, a dog she left at home, and it's like the oh. thing she misses the most. Yeah. And- yeah, yeah. And so it's the whole time. It's like, well, do you make a holodeck version of your dog so you can go pet him for a while? What do you do? You know, <laughs> that was Jamie. Though you're going on like you know a five year mission and your pets at home. There yeah. would be yeah. pets on any Star Trek. There'd be so many pets. Like if you look There's at the modern day, I, mm, something yeah. would have to happen in our history where we stop having pets for that they're not to be like there's dog God. poop all over the enterprise would be that's mine. such a or sad gonna, idea yeah. like yeah during world war three were pets targeted like something happened <laughs> to the pet cop- population you know virtual it's tamagotchi's you know version yeah. 37.5 or there yeah. should there should be pets 100 percent. mental like, health alone on a on a five-year mission you pets are important <laughs> yeah keep people yeah, don't get grounded. married don't have a pet just <laughs> hang out and the, the holiday you job. a lot different if everybody's single they don't even have a pet they got nothing to do oh, there we go. yeah 
my god uh, yeah you'd, you'd literally be your job like that that is like season one is a lot of that it's like you know does Jordy love the engine uh, maybe who knows <laughs> so we're gonna leave him alone with the warp core <laughs> <laughs> Sai, where can people follow you, man? Uh, so usually Twitter. So I am I-O-S-Y Islam. So I-O-S-Y Islam. Uh, you know, that's the place to find me. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, if you look up Sai Islam, you can find me there. Um, I I don't really use Instagram for any professional purpose. So, yeah. you know, my IG would not be interesting to anybody. <laughs> it's not even interesting to me most times. But, yeah. uh, you know. Uh, definitely Twitter. Twitter's where I have the most fun. I know most people think Twitter's very bad. I have a lot of fun on it. I you think can Gordon tailor and I it both to be good. Fun. Yeah, <laughs> you can. Yeah, you can. Yeah. You know, you you put good stuff out there, and and good stuff will come back. So yeah. that that's the that's, that's always been the fun part. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. It's called Leaders Assemble Leadership in the MCU. Check it out. We'll have links to it and their socials in the description. Thank you guys very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks. So Thanks for having us. All right, guys, we'll see you guys next week with another interview. Bye.